This podcast is brought to you by Knowledge at Wharton. One of the more hotly discussed issues in Washington, D.C. has been, over the last several years, around climate change. And as we move forward with that, the U.S. and international scientists looking at the impact of climate change and the dire consequences of doing nothing to stop it. But in this country... The science of global warming has become a politically divisive issue. President Obama joined the Paris Agreement, which tried to bring countries together to reduce greenhouse gas emissions. President Trump said he would withdraw from it because it isn't a good deal for the U.S. Despite the divide, there's one issue that seems to get bipartisan support, at least in some quarters. That's the issue of carbon pricing or placing a tax on companies that emit CO2. Last month, Democratic Senator Chris Coons of Delaware and outgoing Arizona Republican Senator Jeff Flake co-sponsored a bill for a carbon dividend trust fund designed to help encourage further development of clean energy technologies to help reduce pollution. And it's a pleasure to have uh, Senator Coons joining us on the phone right now. Senator, great to have you uh, joining us today. Thank you, sir. Thanks, Dan. Great to be on with you. Thank you. And a pleasure also to welcome in here to the studio Eric Ortz, Professor of Legal Studies and Business Ethics here at the Wharton School and also Faculty Director of the Initiative for Global Environmental Leadership, and also Bernard David, who's a Chairman of the Global CO2 Initiative at the University of Michigan and a Senior Fellow with the uh, Initiative for Global Environmental Leadership. Gentlemen, great to see you. Thank you for coming in. Thanks for having us. Good to see you, Dan. Uh, Senator, I guess let's start with the genesis of of the idea that, that you and Senator Flake had originally to bring a bill like this forward? Well, just to give credit where some credit is due on this, um, Senator Flake and I, who got to know each other um, over a number of years uh, serving in the Senate uh, together, uh, initially through a shared interest in Africa and then a shared concern about the Mueller investigation, uh, it was Jeff Flake who brought to me uh, the idea that he had initially done a bill as a House member a decade ago to put a price on carbon. Um, It was a it was a much smaller bill. It was uh, slimmer in terms of its reach and scope um, than the Energy Innovation and Carbon Dividend Act. Um, but he approached me very late last year and said, you know, I really want to reintroduce a bill uh, that puts a price price on carbon. Um, there aren't a lot of Democrat, excuse me, there aren't a lot of Republican senators uh, volunteering and coming uh, over and talking to Democratic senators and saying, hey, I want to put a price on carbon. Um, so my folks, uh, we had a whole series of meetings uh, with Jeff, with his staff. We looked at different options, um, and we came. We settled on something that is most of the content of the Energy Innovation and Carbon Dividend Act. Uh, a group called the Citizens Climate Lobby, uh, which has a chapter in Delaware, has been pressing for this. It is one variant of several different bills um, that uh, have been in the last Congress in both the Senate and the House that would put a price on carbon, in this case, would take all the revenue and provide a monthly dividend to Americans, uh, including an upfront dividend before the carbon price gets imposed for the right. first month, um, and has a way to adjust for export and import uh, consequences. Um, what the particular bill we introduced did not have uh, was a rollback uh, of EPA uh, capacity, EPA's legal ability to regulate greenhouse gases. Right. Um, and one of the things that I found uh, compelling about the bill we ultimately introduced uh, was that it starts uh, at $15 a metric ton, goes up by $10 a year that um, there is no progress, no significant progress in meeting um, emissions reductions, 
and fairly quickly gets to a price per ton that I think could move the market, um, but is not so high initially um, as to get a uniform opposition from Republicans. I agree with the premise of your question. There is now agreement that climate change is real, climate change is a problem, and we have to do something about it. What there is no agreement between Republicans and Democrats on in the Senate is what sort of mechanism can we use to address climate change? And in particular, what sort of mechanism can we use that won't harm our economy and make it less competitive? And therein lies the rub and the difficulty in coming up with a path forward that could actually pass the United States Senate. Now, Senator Flake is, is obviously no longer uh, in the Senate, but I, I'm, I guess you are able to, are you able to find bipartisan uh, support moving into the new year now? Um, I'll be working hard um, to explore which Republican senator might be willing to join me in a revised version of this bill in the new Congress. Uh, I'll remind you, a very similar bill was introduced uh, by a five-member yep. group of uh, House members. So, you know, Congressman Deutsch and Rooney, Delaney, Fitzpatrick, yep. Christ uh, introduced that on the House side. My hope is that we will see bipartisan groups introduce roughly the same bill in this Congress, but that's hard work that I'm just starting now, um, prospecting for a Republican co-sponsor. The, the benefits of a bill like this, you believe, are what? I bet it would put a predictable price on carbon. Uh, what I've heard from folks um, from clean energy industries, uh, you know, folks who represent wind and solar, uh, what I've heard from uh, broad representation within the environmental activist community and from the oil and gas industry, frankly, is that the pricing that this puts on carbon and the way that it takes those revenues and gives them back to the average American as a dividend um, is something that they could live with across all these different groups that rarely agree on anything. We're joined uh, on the phone by Senator Chris Coons of Delaware. We're talking about the uh, bill that he and Senator Jeff Flake introduced just prior to the new year uh, in the uh, U.S. Senate uh, about uh, carbon pricing, talking also about climate change. As you're listening to Knowledge of Wharton here on Sirius XM 132 Business Radio, powered by the Wharton School. Part of this is also, and obviously an element of the pricing issue, is also the innovation and the potential of the development of new technologies, which it becomes a very important component to this when you're thinking long term of, of where energy is headed in general. That's right. If we want to continue to provide a market incentive for innovation, in transportation, in baseload, in housing and buildings, um, there has we have to move towards a market uh, where there is a predictable, permanent price for carbon. In the absence of that, um, we, look, we've made dramatic progress in the price uh, for wind and solar in, in the last couple of years. We are making real progress in terms of electric vehicles. Um, we were making real progress in terms of uh, baseload um, emissions reductions and we will continue to see some progress there because of natural gas replacing coal. Right. But we won't make we won't make anywhere near the progress that we need to without something like a carbon price driving investment, driving innovation. I would have I would have hoped uh, that the most recent um, report, the 2018 U.S. National Climate Assessment, um, would have been alarming enough, shocking enough, clear enough yeah. that there'd be broad bipartisan support in the Senate for even stronger measures than this. 
Uh, but that's not where we are. And I think a carbon price will drive investment and innovation in a predictable and long-term way. And that's an interesting piece to this. Because of the NCA coming out uh, just a few weeks ago, uh, it, it does kind of make you think about where we are headed with these issues. And I say that because it has been a little bit challenging to be able to get the traction going on talking about carbon pricing. And I say that because the state of Washington turned down the, the ability to have a carbon pricing bill pass in, in its state in the midterm elections. France is obviously dealing with issues of that with Emmanuel Macron right now. So yes. as you look at this this issue as a whole, why do you think that we have an issue of really getting traction where carbon pricing is concerned? Well, it, it's um, it's striking because um, I think the evidence of ongoing climate change is all around us, um, whether there is a record um, fire season in the West, uh, where a dozen states have seen uh, longer, more expensive, more intense forest fires than they've seen in a generation or more. We've had a whole series of incredibly devastating hurricanes um, in Puerto Rico, in Florida, in Texas. The amount of money that the federal government has to spend and the amount of human suffering caused by steadily increasing changes in our climate, um, I think makes the question of is climate change real and is it expensive and is it causing harm uh, to our environment uh, and to human beings? I think that is beyond dispute at this point. Um, the debate now has to turn to what sort of uh, mechanism and approach will the average American accept because most Americans don't see the impact of climate change on their immediate family in their immediate lives. If you're in Miami and you're seeing, you know, streets flooding in the middle of the day, um, it's pretty hard to argue. Um, if you lived through one of these tragic hurricanes in Houston or in Puerto Rico, I think it's hard to argue with. But for the vast majority of Americans, um, I still think most politicians are making the calculus that if we move too swiftly and too aggressively, um, with a carbon tax, there will be a backlash, um, such as what we're seeing in France. The French experiment in increasing gas taxes, if I understand correctly, did not include a monthly dividend going to every household. Right. Um, that is what this bill proposes. And it actually proposes there being an upfront monthly dividend so that the average American gets comfortable with the idea that they are going to be receiving dividend checks at the same time that they see slightly higher prices. Um, for, you know, gasoline and diesel and for uh, energy-intensive products. This is a big move, though, and it's something that, um, you know, I know I, in talking to my colleagues in the Senate, um, there are folks in the Republican caucus who are very nervous about taking any strong step. Um, it is long past time for us to do this. I was at Paris um, during the COP21 negotiations that led to the Paris uh, Climate Agreement, um, I think the United States is missing a critical opportunity to lead innovation globally and to lead on a path away from an otherwise likely disastrous future in terms of the impact of climate change on this generation and next and upcoming generation. Hi, Senator Coons. This is Eric Ortz in the studio. And uh, first of all, uh, thanks very much for coming on to the program. I have a question uh, for our uh, that might be relevant for some of our business listeners. I think an initial reaction that businesses have is, I don't like any kind of tax that's going to come onto my enterprise. And so that, how do you overcome that in this argument? I think you have a great, I'm, I'm supportive of this bill, first of all, on the merits. 
And I think the idea of a dividend to all Americans uh, helps the political sell, uh, saleability of this uh, to them. But how do you sell this to businesses? We know we know that a lot of businesses are going to be against any kind of uh, climate change. Um, uh, but how do you how what's your argument to most businesses that they should be in favor of this and get on board? It is a hard argument. Um, I am just beginning conversations uh, with business organizations about it. Um, but the, to me, the simplest argument is pay now or pay later. Um, the impact on infrastructure, um, on workforce, on environment, and on natural disasters, the simple impact in terms of business disruption of climate change is already presenting and cumulatively going to be massive. And it will be less expensive if we invest in resiliency and in changing the current trajectory of climate change than it will be if we keep having year after year greater and greater natural disasters. Um, you know, the industries that see this opportunity right now are industries like insurance um, and nuclear power, which is um, carbon neutral but has obviously waste management disposal challenges. Um, I've been struck at the industries that are already coming on board um, with this particular proposal, um, and specifically with the willingness of several oil and gas businesses to invest in lobbying in favor of a comparable proposal. Um, as I'm sure you all well know, there's a group led by um, a George Schultz, uh, by a, a number of a prominent former Republican leaders, Secretary of the Treasury Henry Paulson, Secretary of the um, Treasury and State James Baker and George Schultz, who've all endorsed a similar framework. Um, their advocacy with business, their credibility with business, um, the the willingness of a few Republicans to step forward and embrace this right. will end up being critical. But that is going to be one of the toughest pieces. I, you know, that's largely why the Republican caucus in the Senate has uniformly opposed any carbon price. Senator, and if you're able to move this forward and move it through the Senate, how would implementation and enforcement take place? And I say that because we're already starting to hear reports coming out of the Paris Agreement of whether or not countries are really starting to make that move already. And there's a question about whether or not they have said one thing and maybe are doing another. Um, I do think that we need to, if if we're going to argue um, for rejoining Paris and, and for meeting our targets, which this framework would make possible, um, we also have to be vigilant about making sure that other countries are compliant with commitments they've made. Um, I'm not excited about imposing a cost on the American economy that makes us less competitive uh, with China, with India, um, with European countries. I am excited about there being a global framework where all of these countries uh, or virtually every country has made a commitment to reduce their emissions and where we can build and strengthen a global accountability and enforcement system. Um, this particular proposal was designed to be WTO compliant um, so that it shouldn't face uh, WTO challenges. Right. Um, and there are, there are some more details to get right uh, in terms of uh, methane and fluorinated, fluorinated greenhouse gases and making sure that some of the um, – uh, super climate uh, global warming gases uh, are fully accounted for um, in terms of the pricing mechanism. Um, but, you know, look, I think I think this is a steep hill. I think there's some hard arguments to make. Um, but I am convinced that the threat to our country and our world from climate change is real, is significant, and we have to tackle it. 
And the way our legislature is currently configured, if there aren't Republicans uh, willing to step forward and sponsor and advocate for a bill in the Congress, it's going nowhere. There are far more ambitious bills um, that I welcome and that I support, but that I don't think have a chance of becoming law. I'm interested in fighting for a bill that I think can become law. Senator, this is Bernard. David, how are you? I'm great, Bernard. Yourself? I'm good. I'm good. Thanks so much for joining us. Uh, I did have a question, and hopefully uh, we'll keep you on time for your schedule. Um, the audience that we're, that is listening to the show is predominantly a business audience. So what can they do to help you in the passage of this bill? Um, anyone who is in the business community who's got you know bottom line responsibility or a sense of you know the impact of regulation and taxes um, who is interested in this, um, I, I think you know first should uh, take a look at the Citizens Climate Lobby uh, webpage and their information uh, that goes into more detail about this particular bill. Um, they should make sure they know and they they get the the details of the impact of the Energy Innovation and Carbon Dividend Act. Um, it will have a dramatic impact on job creation, on investment and innovation, and on uh, emissions reduction. They should contact their member, their senator, their congressman, their governor, their mayor, and say, um, I'm a business owner, I'm a business leader, I'm an entrepreneur. I want to see us avoid dramatic future costs and invest in innovation um, and be specific. You know, what's the bill? What's the approach they're willing to endorse? Knowing that there are business leaders willing to speak up about this will really help move the needle. Senator, uh, one final question for you. Uh, it, you sound obviously hopeful that this type of a bill will be able to reach the Senate floor uh, at some point this year. Uh, are you optimistic? And and I, I use those two words because there there is a difference between the two. And, and I say that because of how the dynamics in Washington these days seemingly might lead people to say it might be tough to be able to bring this forward. Um, I'm able to get on the train to Washington every day because I am hopeful um, on many of the legislative initiatives I've undertaken. I am not optimistic. Um, right. You know, when... Uh, when I introduced a bill to protect Robert Mueller and his investigation, I was told it would never get a hearing. Six months later, it got a hearing. After the hearing, I was told it would never get a markup and a vote. Six months later, it got a markup and a vote. And I got you know, the chairman, Chuck Grassley, of the Judiciary Committee to vote for it, as well as three other Republicans, including Jeff Flake. Um, so we got it out of committee 14 to 7. Uh, then I was told we'd never get a vote on the floor. Jeff and I went to the floor three times to demand a vote at the end of the last Congress. We didn't get it. Um, but Jerry Nadler, the new chairman of the House Judiciary Committee, was on uh, TV this morning saying he is reintroducing the bill. I will be reintroducing the bill with my Republican co-sponsors next week. Right. Um, you know, you're right. There is a difference between being hopeful and optimistic on climate change, which I think is every bit a threat to our way of life uh, as um, interference with the Mueller investigation is a threat to the rule of law. I am hopeful, but not yet optimistic. I need real partners in this. And most importantly, I need a Republican willing to step forward uh, and take on the challenge of confronting um, the future um, for our country and our children. Senator, thank you very much for your time today. Greatly appreciate you joining the show. Thank you. Great being on with you. Thank, thank you. you. Delaware Senator Chris Coons joining us uh, on the phone today. All right, so uh, as we're rejoined by uh, Eric Ortz and Bernard David, we uh, spend the last few minutes uh, kind of taking in what, what he said. And I, I think 
Eric, the, the distinction I make there in that last question is an important one to discuss here for a second, because there is a difference between you know, being hopeful and being optimistic because of the landscape that we see in, in Washington, D.C. these days. Yeah, Dan, I really liked your question, and I really like Senator Kuhn's answer. So I think that you have to be realistic about these things. But I think one takeaway for me, uh, and it's the new year, maybe we can all uh, kind of a, a take, think about this perspective, is this is a huge issue that has to be taken seriously. And there are many people that have been taking it seriously. And leadership like Senator, uh, leadership of the kind that Senator Coons is exhibiting is exactly what you need to eventually make some progress. And yes, it's possible on this issue in particular, I think, to get, a, get, to get despondent right. or to think, well, it's not optimistic, to, so let's not do anything. And I think he's indicating uh, an example for all of us that you just have to keep pushing on this issue. The science is pretty clear. Uh, I think there's going to, you know, the, the long-term um, dangers are becoming more and more apparent to more and more people. The science is becoming more and more uh, uh, concerning. And I think that, that that's that's what you need. So um, I think, and, and on this bill in particular, I think that my own perspective is that I'm in favor, as I mentioned, I, I think that you need other kinds of uh, bills as well, so that this sure. is, can be part of a general package. Uh, but one of the one of the important aspects of this also uh, of this um, of this process is education, and sure. I think that yeah. this bill in that respect has a lot of potential. So first of all, just advocating for it and explaining it and saying this is why you have to have a cost on the externality of um, of greenhouse gases. But then secondly. If you got this, if you got this approved, remember you get a dividend that every American right. would be getting, and that's and that's and I then think, it's educational. And right? I, it's like, okay, where does this money come yeah, from? Right. It comes from the fact that we are putting this price on carbon, and then people might start to think, what will I do with this dividend? Uh, maybe now, in the on, on the bad side, they might just say, I'm going to buy more uh, gas for my SUV. But my guess is that you start to say you're going to have people saying, "Well, I'm going to use this. It's a forced savings. I'm going to use this money uh, to provide this um, in some kind of a positive way. Put solar panels on my house, uh, do some weatherization, contribute to some other uh, env positive environmental group, uh, invested in my business, some something like that." And so not, I think that's a that's a positive. Not aspect. only the fact of, of the education, Bernard, but the fact that the goal of this bill, when it was brought forward by Jeff Flake and Senator Coons a few weeks ago was to try and make it revenue neutral so there wouldn't be an excess cost on the American public. No, absolutely. And in fact, um, we've talked about the bill, but those people who are joining us right now may want to know that in essence what this bill does is, is it provides a tax to the emitters at the source of emissions. So that's, that's one aspect of it. But the other aspect, as Eric just mentioned, is is a dividend is given out to every single person that has a social security number. Yep. So if you're under 18, you get half half of the dividend, but if you're over 18, you get a complete dividend, and that dividend escalates over time. It's actually not dissimilar from the Alaska Permanent Fund, which has been in right. existence for a long period of time. It's been a very effective tool for the state. Important economic for the state. A absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. And it's actually a progressive tax, if you look at it, because the amount that people who are not 
privileged get is the exact same amount as the people who have yeah. privilege. So it's going to matter to the economy. But so, would this be a slightly different potentially over time because the goal would be to try and get more companies to get away from emitting CO2. That would change the economics a little bit. But again, you're, you're looking for the overall benefit for the environment. No, absolutely. And in fact, what will happen is, is companies will start to look to innovate so that they don't have those emissions. Right. And that comes back to the Global CO2 Initiative, which I founded five years ago. Uh, and its goal is to take carbon dioxide emissions and actually make products out of it. And, and, and by doing that, you know, how, how do we do that? We need to innovate more. And so the whole premise behind this is let's innovate, but let's be carbon negative and dollar positive. So it's right. got to work from an economic standpoint long term. And that's what, what companies will actually look for. Tell us for a second about the, the Global CO2 Initiative at, at Michigan that you're involved with and, and really what the base uh, of that program is in terms of, of really trying to tackle some of these issues. Well, it's exactly what I, what I said it was. And, and frankly, Senator Coons was kind enough to be with me at Davos at the World Economic Forum in 2016 when we launched the whole thing. But in essence, if, if you look at the number of products that can be made using CO2, there are about 25 of them. And, and looking at our market projections, which we had done by McKinsey and Company, it's potentially a trillion-dollar annual market. Wow. So you can, you can use CO2 as a component of concrete and, and cement. You can use it to make carbon fiber. Uh, you can use it to make chemicals. And, and it's basically a substitution effect. So to the extent you can capture it at a reasonable cost and then employ it in the product itself, um, it can be sequestered kind of forever. And, and just let me focus in on the uh, cement and concrete market for a second. Um, that we do not make anything more abundantly on planet Earth yeah. than we make cement and concrete. It, and, and if we captured CO2 as a part of the admixture um, to make the cement and concrete, we could potentially capture 5 to 7% of the annual CO2 emissions. That's 5 to 7% of wow. the global annual emissions. And so we think that's a big deal. Well, the reality is there are companies out there, and I'm on the board of one and an investor in that, um, that actually has proven that this is economically viable. Yeah. Um, that the industry itself uh, can make more money by producing CO2-based cement and concrete than it can by the normal admixture. And just to fill that in uh, just quickly on the economics of this for the listeners, the reason why putting a price on carbon is important for exactly these kinds of initiatives is regular making of concrete is terrible for the planet. Correct. So right, you, right. you put a tax on that, then you're going to increase the economic incentives for these climate-friendly business ideas right. and business practices. Same thing goes to energy. You put a tax on oil, gas, fossil fuels, that means already you have the, have the business case for solar, wind, et cetera. Sure. But that case becomes a lot clearer, and uh, investments are going to be growing in those areas as you have a tax that's taking account of the externality of climate emissions on the dirty businesses. Great having you both with us here today. Thanks uh, very much for coming in, Eric Byrne. Thank you. Nice to meet you. Thank and you so many much. thanks to Senator Coons for joining us as well on the phone. For more insight from Knowledge at Wharton, please visit knowledge.wharton.upenn.edu. Thank you.